I'm Cindy Levy, and this is the Barney's Podcast, the show that celebrates fashion, style, culture, but most of all, the personalities who create those things every single day. Tom Brown says he never set out to work in fashion. We were on the track that you either go to law school or you go to medical school or or you go into business. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, fashion came much later. I just needed a job. But since opening his line in New York in 2001, Tom has truly changed the way American men and women dress. His signature shrunken suit revolutionized the silhouette of American menswear. And yes, it's Tom Brown you have to thank for the flash of men's ankles you've been seeing on the street over the last decade. He's also dressed everybody from former First Lady Michelle Obama to LeBron James, and along the way has built his uncompromising vision into a multi-million dollar business. In fact, the morning after we sat down with him, news broke that he'd sold a majority stake of his company to the Italian fashion group Ermenegilda Zegna for $500 million, a tremendous achievement in today's fashion economy. It was the perfect time to talk. And of course, I had to start with the most important question. What are you wearing today, Tom Brown? Summer, seersucker. I'm getting all my use out of the last week of summer. Um, what I wear doesn't really change very much, so... You're a uniform guy. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about the uniform idea. I think I heard you once say that you would find it exhausting if you had to find a new look every Mm -hmm. single morning. You know, I started doing this for very selfish reasons. I did it for myself. The idea of a tailored jacket and trouser in a different proportion was something that I wanted. And it was something that I never thought had to change. Mm -hmm. And I think there's something like a real confidence in somebody that adopts Mm -hmm. a uniform for themselves because I think it shows true individuality, especially in the world that everything is changing so much and and especially in fashion where every season it seems like it's schizophrenically changing. Mm, That's so interesting, that idea of the uniform as confident and individual Mm. because I think we used to think of uniforms as symbolizing conformity, right? Everybody in the same look, but... In a world where change is constant, Mm. to have a look that lasts over time is a strong and confident statement. Yeah, I think when you see somebody that you feel like they don't change themselves daily, Mm -hmm. um, I think there's huge confidence in that. And I think there's true individuality, which I think sometimes people don't always understand. And it almost goes to what I did with LeBron and the Cavaliers recently I'm was... I'm so glad you brought that up. For the two people listening who might not have actually seen that yeah. when, it, when it happened, yeah. that was during the NBA Finals this yeah. year, and you had been uh, designing suits for the Cavaliers for a while, but I think the look that got the most attention was the look that LeBron yeah. chose that night, which was a, a shorts suit, a three-piece yeah. yeah. gray shorts suit with a brogue boot yeah. and a absolutely fantastic, spectacular crocodile bag. Yeah. I have so many questions. First of all, (laughs) LeBron walks into an NBA final carrying a briefcase. What is in the briefcase? What papers does he need to bring to the game? (laughs) Yeah, I I don't know specifically what he had, but he just looked really good with it. And whatever he needed, he had it in that bag. And what's the process like when you design for him? I mean, it's Mm. obviously a custom suit. You know, is it a stylist who comes up with the idea? Is LeBron himself texting you, you know, Tom, this is what I have in mind? I mean, he's a superstar and he has such confidence in knowing exactly who he is. He came up and wanted to wear the shorts. It wasn't something that was suggested to him. Mm -hmm. You know, the last meeting and the last fitting, I was wearing the shorts and he, you know, did 
point and said, I want to look like that. So there was something... Which, by the way, is that not one of the greatest moments <laughs> of your life? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those moments that I'm so inspired by professional athletes. And for me, especially young kids seeing very successful professional athletes who have the resources to buy whatever they want and wear whatever they want. For me, the idea of them all representing them, the strength of the unit and the team was such a strong message to send to young kids. Mm -hmm. He looked amazing. The look was so controversial, apparently, that during the uh, pregame press conferences, both of the coaches, his and the opposing teams, (laughs) were asked about it, (laughs) but they both declined to comment. Um, You mentioned sports, and I know that you were Mm. an athlete growing Mm. up, a a swimmer. What did that teach you? Did it, you know, sports teach people such discipline. Yeah. I mean, sports, the discipline, and I, I'm i the same person now. I, and even how I approach the collections and how I work, it's a very organized, very disciplined way of designing, which I think is very different than how a lot of people approach design. Mm-hmm. I like the rigor in regards to design. I like the organization. And I think that's probably what it taught me the most. Mm-hmm. And also to to have the stamina to kind of keep it going. Yeah. Well, how many hours a day were you swimming when you were growing up? Oh my gosh. At the end, I was, you know, from high school through college, you know, like almost six hours a day. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm not sure I've swum six hours ever. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it, swimming is it's an amazing sport. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a lot of a lot of time yeah. in the pool. And you are one of seven children. Seven. Yeah. You're the middle. Middle. Yeah. <laughs> Everything fell to the middle. <laughs> <laughs> or imagine it like a mountain yeah. where the peak is in the middle. And I know none of them are in fashion, all no. a doctor, business people, attorneys. Yeah. attorneys. Yeah. Were you interested in fashion early? Fashion wasn't anything I ever thought about. Really? We were on the track that you either go to law school or you go to medical school or, or you go into business. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, fashion came much later and I just needed a job mm-hmm. and it happened to be in fashion. <laughs> And that's how it all started. But I think life did lead me to it. It is important that you let life, you know, lead you into mm. making sure that you you figure it out. Mm-hmm. And um, life led me to this. Well, talk about that. I guess then came the moment when you knew you needed a job and yeah. that job happened to be in fashion. How did you yeah. know that it was right? Or didn't you? I didn't. Yeah, I was in L.A. and I was doing a lot of a lot of things. And I got to the point L.A. was not for me. And I knew that New York was, I needed to go back to New York. Mm-hmm. And I needed a job. And the job just happened to be in fashion. At and Armani. At Armani, yeah. <laughs> and That's a pretty good job just to stumble into. <laughs> yeah, I have a really good friend, Glenn McMahon, who is Hi. at Armani. And he... He gave me the job, and I seriously, I sat in front of the computer. I didn't even know how to email. I had never done any of it. (laughs) So I was there and learned so much. And there was always something in me, because in L.A., I used to play with vintage clothing with my friend Johnson, who Mm -hmm. um, designs Libertine. And I knew I always liked that. At Armani, I, I realized I liked the world of fashion. I thought it was interesting, and I liked the people. But there was always in the back of my head the idea that I it would be interesting to be able to do that mm-hmm. myself. Um, and so that's where it started. So how did you actually make your first suits? I went out to Long Island City to Rocco Ciccarelli, and he rolled his eyes because he's worked with 
pretty much, I think, every American designer. Mm -hmm. He was a godsend because he made the most beautiful clothing, all handmade tailoring. And the only reason why he agreed to do something with me was because I was very clear on what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And 15 years later, we were still working. Mm -hmm. Um, And and, and it was the quote-unquote shrunken suit at that time, right? It was... The suit that nobody thought fit me and everybody <laughs> laughed at me at the beginning and <laughs> and stores told me that uh, they didn't understand what it was. They didn't understand what I was doing. And so for three, the first three years, I just survived by making pieces for um, private clients. Mm-hmm. And then Bergdorf's and Colette were the first people to to come by and give it a chance. And what persuaded them that this was something that was going to be, you know, not just interesting looking, mm-hmm. but but good business? I mean, when so many other people didn't see it. I don't think anybody thought it was good business, but I thought they, <laughs> <laughs> that it, they because initially they understood the maybe the importance of it. It mm-hmm. was very new. It was, it was approaching something that was very classic and very understandable in regards to where it was coming from mm-hmm. but it was it was really making people think and see things differently yeah. in regards to um something that they sh- they thought they should understand but they didn't and i think we underestimate how rare that is to do something genuinely new in fashion right there's sort of you know sometimes feels like there's nothing new under the sun mm. and the fact that y- you were able to really shift how people saw things yeah. at what point did you realize that there was a, a an outsized impact that your this new silhouette was having. You know, I think the reason why it it was maybe more impactful than I realized was I didn't really consciously decide to do something new. I just did what I wanted myself. And I think that's what made it so easy. Mm-hmm. People saw how important it was to me mm-hmm. and how real it was to me. And if you didn't understand it, I was fine with that because I knew that I understood it 100%. Mm-hmm. And I knew that the right person or people would understand mm-hmm. it. Everyone suggested that I change it. Everyone suggested everything to make it what it what I didn't want it to be. Mm-hmm. And if I listened, then I would probably be out of business mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. That's such an incredibly powerful lesson mm-hmm. for anybody who's doing anything yeah. creative, though. Yeah. I want to go back for a second to the conversation we were having about uniforms because I know that ritual Mm. is important to you also in your own life. I've... The stories are legendary that you have breakfast at the same <laughs> so restaurant. They, they are not boring at all. You have breakfast at the same restaurant every day, mm. dinner at one of a handful of restaurants. You run eight miles every morning. Mm. Raising another question, how many hours are in your day? <laughs> now, I mean, I do have a very boringly structured life. Things have changed some. I have, you know, Hector and I have Andrew. So, you know, it's not always the same breakfast and it's not always the same dinner. But Hector, um, by the way, uh, just to (laughs) define Hector for those who don't follow him on social media is a a fantastic dog who, yes, I follow on Instagram along with about 10,000 other people. Yeah. He is really cute. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I I do like, I like my days to be organized. Mm -hmm. And, um, Structured. Do, do we have a false belief or stereotype that creativity and organization don't usually go hand in hand? Yeah, it's very individual. I like things to be organized, even the way that I know what the collection is going to be at the beginning. There's no styling at the end. There's there's nothing like that. Um, so 
I want to talk a little bit about milestones because I think, you know, sometimes when you look at somebody's career from the outside, you think, oh, I know what the big milestones were. So, you know, mm-hmm. looking at you, it would be your CFDA award for first award for menswear mm-hmm. or dressing Michelle Obama for mm-hmm. the second inauguration in 2012. I'm curious whether those felt like milestones to you at the time or if there mm-hmm. were other things that seemed in retrospect so much more significant. I mean, they're all milestones, but I mean, I'm horrible in regards to not appreciating them at the time and just keeping You don't it, appreciate them. Not as much as I think I should sit back and appreciate them more, but I think it's always moving forward and on to the next one. That's why after each show, I get a little depressed because the next one has to be better than this one. And mm-hmm. I think a little bit with those moments in regards to like the CFDA awards or making clothing for the first for first lady was something that I've I will always appreciate but at the moment you it's almost overwhelming to appreciate it as much as it as I should have I know you designed for her on other occasions where she mm-hmm. wore your designs I guess that's how how it works was there one that was most memorable would it be that inauguration oh, look yeah. Or, yeah I mean I saw the footage of her walking with the president and uh, I thought it looked really good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, she looked, but it wasn't... It, it, it did. Tr- it transcended the what she was wearing. Yeah. She just looked like the person she is. Yeah. Like the strong, beautiful, just amazing person that she was. She yeah. looked so... And the two of them together just looked just a beautiful, strong, intelligent unit. Mm-hmm. Are there other moments that stand out as being, you know, maybe less obvious to the rest of us milestones? My first women's show in Paris mm-hmm. was a milestone because, you know, at the end of the day, I'm still like a little kid from Allentown and I'm <laughs> designing clothing and showing in Paris. And who do I think I am doing this? You're Tom um, Brown. That's who you are. Yeah. But, you know, in the back, you always have that <laughs> that kid in you. Um, yeah. Andrew and I always joke. It's like a little kid from Lancashire and little kid from Allentown doing what we do is mm-hmm. I, don't, I never forget that where I come from and sometimes I can't believe it so it's nice to see that it's kind of worked out and Andrew by the way for those listening is Andrew Bolton your your partner who's yeah. curator at the Costume Institute and um, I know you had a couple of pieces in the in the most recent mm-hmm. um, exhibit there Heavenly Bodies which is dedicated of course to the intersection of Catholicism and fashion yeah. amazing and you, show and everyone go it <laughs> really truly go yeah and you grew up Catholic yeah did that did that have an impact on you know your your love of the uniform feels like those two things might be related of course i do draw upon those type of things when i work but it's never literal and it's never um it's not overly referenced mm-hmm. do your brothers and sisters wear your clothes now my sisters do. My brothers are starting to. Ah. <laughs> so 17 years into your having your line, yeah. they're finally dipping their toes in the water. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think my brothers sometimes, they don't realize that they can wear as much as they can. Mm. So. All right. Well, I hope they're listening. <laughs> <laughs> You've done so much in the made-to-measure space. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a woman, I watch my husband get fantastic suits. Yeah you know, custom made. 
women typically haven't really done that. Do you see mm-hmm. that beginning to change for women? I hope so. There's nothing more special than having something made for yourself. And I spe- especially in the women's world, the idea of making something tailored and just a simple classic handmade jacket and trouser is something really special and something as strange as it sounds very new mm-hmm. in the women's world. Hmm. But I even the, though it's the oldest thing in the world in yeah, the men's world. Yeah. But I think what's What's more important is that they see that it's not something that's specifically made for work or it's not boringly labeled power suit. I think it's something that is just a beautiful piece of clothing that is made for a woman that feels just as special as if she had a dress made for herself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's there's something very confident about it to me Mm -hmm. because I've always thought, you know, women sometimes try to force themselves to fit into their clothes, whereas, mm-hmm. you know, men who have had a made-to-measure experience come to it with the feeling of, like, this is me. Yeah. You know, the clothes should fit me, and yeah. they should fit me perfectly. And yeah. I, it, that feels like a very empowering attitude for a woman to have. Yeah, it should be something that should be experienced. Mm-hmm. I mean, women's is only, I guess, you're six years into it, seven seven yeah. years into it. Yeah. What were the biggest revelations of starting to do women's wear? Like, in what ways was it different or not different from doing men's that surprised you? Or Well, it's different in that it's bigger. Well, that's The good. expectations are bigger. Mm. The approach of starting from tailoring is very different. It's a lot easier in men's because it's more understandable. Mm-hmm. Um, I think starting in women's collections, every collection from a tailored point of view, is, it's just new. So that has been the the first education for me is realizing that it it's not as easy as men's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but and I, men's is not all that easy. It was easier. Mm. Um, I'm always up for the challenge and I, I, and I want to stay true to it because I know long term it's exactly what I want people to see from me mm-hmm. in, in the women's world. So Tom, I know there's a huge partnership happening this fall between you and Barney's. Mm. How did that come about, and what was your relationship like with Barney's before that? Well, Barney's was there with me at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, they've always supported my collection, so it's um, a great relationship with them in regards to them supporting what I do. Mm-hmm. And especially at the, what's most important, is, and I think it's important for people to to hear, is it's not always easy for stores to be supportive of younger designers because when I was starting, my things were incredibly expensive because I didn't know how to price things correctly. I didn't know how to ship things on time always. So the idea that the stores put up with that is so important for a designer because that loyalty is is invaluable. Um, Danielle, I've known for a long time, so mm-hmm. um, I think she's incredible. Mm-hmm. First uh, female CEO there. Well, we were just talking about that. Danielle is incredible. Yeah. I mean, her strength and her, her intelligence is yeah. amazing. And also to her taste for the importance of true fashion. You know, to have somebody that is running a business but also knows the importance of taking the chances on things that are maybe not as easy to sell or, or you know, that are just important in regards to Barney's fashion. Mm-hmm. Barney's stands for true fashion, and I think she has always stood for that. And I think the one thing that I've learned through this process of the project is that it's so refreshing, especially in the retail world, that there are people that take the chance mm-hmm. and definitely elevate their customer to their level. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's so refreshing mm-hmm. and inspiring. 
Well, you know, it echoes back to what you were saying before that you believed in your own vision and you knew that this is what you liked and it resonated for you and you had to stay true to that. And, and, you know, and, and they had the same attitude. Yeah. And that's why Andrew and I have so much fun at home because I see him and how he approaches his shows and how he always elevates the people that come to see his shows to his level and, and his level is very high. Yeah. Um, Into intellectually, and it's just so, it's so inspiring to be around people like that. Well, rewinding, you you were mentioning the made to measure component to the month at Barney's, and I know mm. there's so many different parts of it. Um, the Tom Brown dedicated windows. I know that there's been a film, um, the capsule collection. But I especially want to talk about the Tom Brown Burger at Fred's. <laughs> it's really good. So what is it? It's referencing a very specific American hamburger that everybody growing up, um, once they taste the hamburger, they will know what it's referencing. Really? Yeah. For me, it's it's perfectly done because, one, it's, it's very well done. But also, too, it's taking something like a reference of fast food and doing it in a very high-end way. Mm-hmm. So it's it's how I like to approach a lot of things, taking something that is very accessible to people, and just making it at the highest level that you can. And that's Mm -hmm. what the hamburger is. So you're not downing a beer along with the the burger. No, it is being served with champagne. Oh, champagne. Burger and champagne. That sounds amazing. (laughs) Yeah. I'm coming for lunch. Yeah. That sounds really lovely. Um, What does being a designer satisfy in your personality that you don't think you could get anywhere else? I mean, you just see it in my shows. You see how I do have so many weird, crazy, funny ideas that I personally (laughs) could never bring out, but I do that through my work. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes fashion so interesting to me. And that's what my shows are for, is to, you know, take, I I think, just classic ideas and, of course, executing them really, really well, but um, having fun with, with the idea of making people Love what I do or hate what I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of the two, right? The two. You don't want the well, in-between. I, I think, yeah, I don't want the in-between. In yeah. I think I would I would question a collection if everybody liked it. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I just always love about your shows is they feel very uncynical. You know, there's mm-hmm. something about, you know, there, some of them are very joyful and playful. You know, some of them have a, a sinister vibe mm-hmm. running through them. But you're always kind of throwing yourself fully into the emotion and the scene setting mm-hmm. of the show. And you're never trying to be too cool for school. Yeah. I, well, because... I'm not. And um, <laughs> now for me, I do, I, I put it all in front of people and I want, I want to exactly make people laugh or cry or have true emotion and really making people think and mm-hmm. see things differently. Because I think that I feel is my responsibility in regards to fashion is that those 20 minutes are for pure conceptual design that moves everything forward and Mm. makes the commercial part of what I do more interesting every season. Mm. Um, Tom, thank you so much. Thank you. This has been really great. Thank you so much. And can't wait to see your windows and taste your burger. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) 
Tom Brown is everywhere right now. You can follow his dog Hector on social media. You can eat his namesake burger at Fred's. And of course, his capsule collection is available at Barney's now. The Barney's Podcast is produced by Barney's and Transmitter Media. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show. It helps other people find us. Thanks for listening. So you are one of the neatest and best pressed people I know. I always feel a little vaguely rumpled around you. (laughs) Is there a secret messy spot in your apartment somewhere? Mm, Hector's toy pile. (laughs) (laughs) 